we're going to be uh, looking at a bit of John chapter 3, a bit of Ephesians chapter 2, and thinking into what it looks like to have heads, hearts, and lives tuned to God's grace. As usual, we'll have a bit of time after the Bible talk for questions and comments to think through these truths and implications. Uh, Now, God speaks His Word to us. Um, uh, He works by His Spirit through His Word, so let's ask Him uh, to do that. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we want to understand uh, what you say to us in the Bible. We want to see uh, those truths worked into our lives by your Spirit. So please do that work. Uh, Please do help us uh, to hear and understand. Uh, Please help us to see how those things you speak uh, address us in in our heads and hearts uh, and into our lives that we would Uh, be transformed and molded by you in the Lord Jesus. Amen. One sentence that's pretty much on constant replay around sojourn is that we want to see heads, hearts, and lives tuned to eternal realities. God who made us reveals reality to us. He speaks it to us in the Bible. He tells us the truth about ourselves He tells us about the world we live in and the time we live in. He tells us about uh, time and eternity stretching back past before us, time and eternity stretching out forward before us. He tells us what he has done, what he is doing, what he will do. He tells us who he is and always will be. All those realities have implications for our thoughts, our consciences, our wills, our passions, and the way we live Monday to Sunday. Today I want to focus on one reality, God's grace. What difference does God's grace make to you? What difference does God's grace make to your thoughts, your conscience, your will, your passions? What difference does God's grace make to you the way you live Monday to Sunday? What difference would God's grace make if you went all in with the Lord Jesus? I'm going to help you think about that today, Uh, but first, perhaps obviously, let's think about God's grace. Uh, Grace is a Bible word. Uh, It's not a word we use much in other contexts, and we never encounter it in other contexts with the depth and richness that we find it in the Bible. It feels like a jargon word, but it overlaps with generosity and kindness At his heart, God's grace is his undeserved kindness, his love for the unlovely. We didn't hear the word last week uh, when we were reading uh, John chapter 3, but we saw God's undeserved kindness and grace in that part of the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Think about who God gave. God the Father gave his only son, his perfect and eternal son. His son who was with him in the beginning before anything was made that has been made. Look back through time until before there was anything else, before there were people or planets, stars or galaxies, before even angels. Forever, the Father loved the Son in the joy of the Holy Spirit. 
they share the same nature. They love what they see in each other. They, they see life and light and truth, infinite power and wisdom, perfect goodness and justice, glorious love and mercy, grace and compassion. The Son is worthy of the Father's love. And the Father loves him. But still, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him might not perish but have eternal life. He gave his Son who he loves to rescue men, women, and children who deserve to perish in judgment and condemnation. He gave his son to perish in judgment and condemnation so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We did not deserve God's gift. He was not obliged to save us. Listen to how the Apostle Paul describes humans in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. We'll have a look at it, uh, if you've got it in front of you. Dead in trespasses and sins, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, living in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, by nature, children of wrath. It's negative. Our thoughts, our attitudes, our words and actions are blameworthy. We deserve to perish in judgment and condemnation. We deserve to be blamed for what we have done. And God blamed us. He blamed us for the damage we've done to others. He blamed us for the dishonor we've done to his good name. But verse 4 Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4, God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses. You hear what he's saying? It's not like God loving his eternal son because of who he is, what he is like and what he does. He greatly loved us even when we were dead in trespasses and sins. He greatly loved us even when we were dead in trespasses. That's love in spite of, not love because of. It's grace. We are saved by grace, verse 5. Undeserved generosity. Undeserved kindness. So what did God do for us? Verse 6. Uh, being rich in mercy, towards the end, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why did he do it? So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. And then in case we missed it in verse 5, he says it again, for by, it, for by grace you have been saved. Verse 8. By God's great love, by his undeserved generosity and kindness, we who trust him have been saved. This time, time he clarifies how it comes about, how it comes to us. Verse 8, it's through faith. It is through trust, through believing, 
through taking God at his word, through acting as if what he says is good and true because we're convinced it is good and true. Trusting his teaching means believing it's true. Trusting his promises means relying on him to do what he says he will do. Trusting his commands means submitting to him because what he says is truly good. See, faith has implications for what we do. But it's not what we do that saves us. Even our faith and trust is God's gift here. It had to be. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. Dead people don't wriggle themselves into life again. God gives life to the dead. God gives new birth. God saves sinners. He does it all. Verse 10, he remakes us. He recreates us in Christ Jesus for good works. He sets his saved people on a path, and on that path are the good works prepared for his people to walk in. God saves sinners. From first to last, he saves sinners. Now, all of that is God being gracious. It's God loving in spite of our rebellion and sin. It's God being willing to have us as his people in spite of our rebellion and sin. Are you hearing what the Bible means when it talks about grace? It's God's undeserved kindness, his love for the unlovely. Now, that doesn't mean it's reluctant love. (laughs) In spite of can have that vibe, can't it? But it's not the vibe of God's love. He's reluctant to condemn. He delights to forgive and save. Now, there's more to be said from Ephesians chapter 2 and more to be said about God's grace. But I want to move to helping you think about some aspects of tuning your head, heart, and life to God's grace. God's grace has implications for our relationship with God, for the way we think and feel about ourselves, for how we relate to others. The point I'm going to focus on today are that knowing our gracious Father means we can enjoy not having to prove ourselves to God. We can enjoy not having to prove ourselves to ourselves. We can enjoy not making others prove themselves to us. And we can enjoy being trophies of God's grace. Now, I've known God's grace at some level all my life. I began to be more gripped by it, more convinced of of his undeserved kindness towards me back in 1989, uh, the year after I finished high school. 33 years later, I still need to be more gripped by God's grace. A bunch of years back, I went through a season when I felt the intense pressure to prove myself to others, and my heart's deep longing was to prove myself to others. It was crippling. Ironically, the relationships that felt least gracious were my church relationships. I find thinking all of that through in the light of God's grace and some of this stuff I'm talking about today and revisiting it, I find it incredibly liberating. I'd love to tell you my heart is entirely free of that, that it's not still a struggle, but it's still a struggle. I need the word I'm preaching to you. 
We need this word. So let's get into how God's grace impacts our relationship with him first. Wonderfully, knowing our gracious Father means we can enjoy not having to prove ourselves to him. See, we can think we understand grace, but feel like our sin means God puts up with us because he said he would. We can think we understand grace, but stop praying because we feel guilty about the sins we've done. We can think we understand grace, but convince yourselves God is displeased and distant and disinterested because we've failed. And then only confess our rebellion after we've worked a bit harder for a while. Now, it makes no sense to feel like we need to prove ourselves to our generous, gracious, forgiving, loving Father. If he loved us enough to put his son through hell for us, what are we thinking when we try to win him over? When we try to win his love? We don't have to. Our Father loved us while we were still sinners. Our Lord Jesus faced God's passionate justice for us while we were still sinners. The Spirit assures us that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, our Father is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We don't have to prove ourselves to God. We can enjoy not having to prove ourselves to him. Uh, One way we can enjoy not having to prove ourselves is in what the English uh, Puritan John Owen called blessed bartering, trading. I think of it like this. Every day Jesus says to us in the gospel message, I'll do you a deal. I'll take all your failures, your guilt, your sin, your bitterness, your curse, your wrath, your death, and in return, I'll give you love and life and righteousness and peace. That's a great deal, isn't it? We can enjoy his undeserved kindness by gladly accepting the deal. Handing over our sin, receiving Christ's love. John Owen asks, what? Shall we daily come to him with our filth, our guilt, our sins? May he not, will he not bid us keep them to ourselves? They are our own. Shall we be always giving sins and taking righteousness? Then he answers, There is not anything Jesus Christ is more delighted with than that his saints should always hold communion with him in this business of giving and receiving. See, that's what he lives for. That's what he lives in heaven as our resurrected Savior for. It's not possible for us to remove our guilt, to establish our identity, to prove ourselves. But we can rest in what he has done. We can enjoy seeing our sin and coming to Jesus for forgiveness and knowing he delights to forgive. We can enjoy struggling to change and knowing our desire for progress is part of the Spirit's gracious work in us. 
We can enjoy praying even when our recent history screams our guilt because we know our Father delights to hear his forgiven children. Wonderfully, knowing our gracious Father means we can enjoy not having to prove ourselves to him. Not only that, knowing our gracious Father means we can enjoy not having to prove ourselves to ourselves. You don't need to prove yourself to yourself. You know that feeling? I think most obviously when we want to prove that we're, we're better than, uh, than some people or maybe want to prove that we're better than most people, more subtly, the thing that can really annoy us about our sin is that we let ourselves down. We want to feel good about ourselves and we feel bad about ourselves when we see what we have done. Knowing God who is gracious frees us from that. Wonderfully, we can enjoy knowing that our identity is being his loved and forgiven children. See, knowing our gracious God frees us to find our identity as his loved and forgiven child. You don't have to be crushed by your failures, eternally ashamed by your immoralities, consumed by the feeling you've let yourself down. If you are in Christ, your sinful desires no longer define you. They're temporary. They'll pass. It's just this life. Then resurrection day, and you will not sin. And while we wait, seeing our sins and failures now has the wonderful effect of sending you to Jesus as your Savior who lives to plead his death for you. To God, our Father, who already knew the worst about you when he welcomed you into his family. To the Holy Spirit as your helper, determined to continue the good work that he has begun. Already, now, you're trusting in Jesus. The fundamental truth about who you are is not that you are a sinner. The fundamental truth is that you are a forgiven sinner, a loved by the Son sinner, an adopted by the Father sinner, an indwelt by the Spirit sinner. Knowing God who is gracious means you can look your failure square in the eye, see your guilt, see your sin, without having to go searching for some good thing to balance it out and say, oh, I'm not too bad. We can see the bad and enjoy not having to prove ourselves to ourselves. Knowing our gracious Father means you can enjoy not having to prove yourself to him and you can enjoy not having to prove yourself to yourself. Another way to say it is that you can enjoy being honest being honest to God and honest to yourself. But what about other people? Can we be honest with them? God is gracious, uh, so we don't have to prove us. Sorry. God is gracious, so I don't have to prove myself to him. People are demanding, so I do have to prove myself to them. Right? Well, let's think about that from the other side first. 
we can be demanding. So people feel like they need to prove themselves to us. But knowing our gracious Father means we can enjoy not making people prove themselves to us. God's grace to us teaches us to be gracious to one another. Jesus teaches us to pray, Father, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. A little later in Ephesians chapter 4, a little later in Ephesians, in chapter 4, verses 31 and 32, uh, Paul writes, Let all bitterness and, and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. It's that word as that gets us, isn't it? Kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. I found the language of acceptance and approval really helpful. Acceptance is not approval. Uh, God never approves of our sin and rebellion. He disapproves of our sin and rebellion. But he graciously accepts us without approving of our sin. Few things are more godlike in our relationships with people than accepting without approving. I think it's like, I think it's like few things are more godlike in our relationships with people than accepting and loving them while disapproving of what God disapproves. We don't need to approve of everything uh, someone is doing in order to enjoy a relationship with them. I take it this applies to believing and unbelieving friends. We must not make people jump through the hope of our approval before we accept them. God accepts and loves us without approving of us. You heard all that stuff about uh, sin and guilt. We're not supposed to tell each other those things are okay. They're not okay. And at the same time, we are called to forgive God's grace frees us to be kind and tender-hearted and forgiving without demanding that others prove themselves to us. Knowing God who is gracious means you can enjoy not making people prove themselves to you. Being community like that frees all of us from hiding ourselves from each other. I'm not saying we can or should uh, show everything to everyone, but genuine and loving acceptance without approval, frees us to expose our struggles and sins to one another. It frees us to be helped by one another as we dig down to the sin behind the sin and hear and speak the only truth that sets us free. Which brings me to my final point. Knowing God who is gracious means we can enjoy being trophies of God's grace. You see, the biggest problem with our attempts to prove ourselves to believers and unbelievers is that essentially we're attempting to prove that we don't need grace. And we do. We need grace. Most of us want others to think well of us. It's much easier to mention sins that we used to struggle with than our present failures. When people see sin, we can excuse ourselves by saying we only did it because of what someone did to us. We can give the impression that we've made more progress than we have. 
Mate, one problem, one obvious problem with all of that is it is not true. We haven't made more progress than we have. What was done to us just brought out from our hearts what was already there. We do have present struggles, not just past ones. We can try to hide those realities. But when we try to hide those realities, we make it difficult for people to see God's grace. We make it difficult for believers and unbelievers to see we are people God has generously and undeservedly forgiven. And we make it easy for other believers to imagine they are alone. We make it easy for other believers to imagine they are the only ones with real struggles, with real sins. Which can push them to hide their sins even more and feel even more alone. God's grace frees us. Frees us to enjoy being trophies of grace. Getting people to look at God and see that he is gracious towards us. Widely and with everyone pointing to God who saved us from our sins, with some people sharing bits and pieces of those past and present struggles, with one or two trusted brothers or sisters bringing them into our present struggles in deeper detail with humiliating honesty. Knowing God who is gracious frees us to enjoy being trophies of grace. Now I'm aware I've just begun to scratch the surface of the implications of knowing God is gracious. There are many more implications for Monday to Sunday lives than than the few that I've mentioned. Uh, part of our vision, uh, the part of our vision which says that, that we want to be so captivated by our Father's love that we are eager to please Him in everything. That's grace driving out into life. There are lots of other examples of implications, but can I encourage you this week to soak in these implications? Allow yourself time to see your sin and do that blessed bartering of bringing actual sins you're actually guilty of to Christ and experiencing the comfort of knowing you could never prove yourself and you don't have to. Give some thought to your own head and heart. Does your sin and weakness weigh on you so that you can't see through it to who you are in Christ? What drives your obedience is it proving yourself to yourself how can living under the under the eye of our gracious father free you to be more eager to please him and at the same time less pressured to prove yourself to him unpressured to prove yourself to him think about your close relationships are you making your housemates parents kids husband wife uh, friends are you making them feel like they need to prove themselves to you in order to earn your love. Maybe you need to soak in God's grace in Christ 
So your heart is better able to accept and love without approving. Even when there are real sins to work through. Perhaps you could think and talk uh, together about how to hear and feel gospel acceptance and disapproval within your relationship. Maybe they're being demanding towards you and you'll find freedom from the captivity of living. Maybe they're being demanding towards you and you'll find freedom from that captivity by living in the light of God's grace whether they're being gracious to you or not. Talk with your discipleship group about being trophies of grace uh, with each other and with others. How can you expect one another to respond if you talk openly about real sin that's really your fault? Easier to do it if you talked about it. Uh, How can you help friends who don't yet know Jesus see you as a forgiven by God in Christ person. Wonderfully, knowing God is gracious means we can enjoy not having to prove ourselves to him. We can enjoy not having to prove ourselves to ourselves. We can enjoy not making people prove themselves to us. And we can enjoy being trophies of God's grace. Let's pray. Our great and merciful and gracious and loving Father, please do, as we continue to hear your word, as we read it ourselves, as we reflect on it uh, through the week, uh, please do give us that clear sight of you as gracious, of your son giving himself for us, though we do not deserve to have him come. We do deserve to perish in punishment and judgment. Thank you that he was he perished, that he was he, he perished in, in punishment and judgment for us that we might be forgiven. Father, please grip us by those realities and cause those realities to uh, soak down into, uh, that we thoroughly think them, that it would shape uh, our conscience, our wills, our passions. To shape the way we relate to you, to one another, the way we think about ourselves, what the image we want to project to others. Father, please do work in us so that we really do Monday to Sunday enjoy not having to prove ourselves to you or ourselves or others but rather that our aim would be to prove ourselves people who need your grace your undeserved generosity and kindness and who know your undeserved generosity and kindness through your son our Lord Jesus, who died and is raised and sits at your right hand. And it's in him we pray. Amen.